Our world is full of the unexplainable. And if history is an open book, all of these amazing tales are right there on display, just waiting for us to explore. Welcome to the Cabinet of Curiosities. We normally don't trust someone who fell asleep on the job. If a waiter decided to have a nap without taking our order, we might find another place to eat. And long-haul truckers have been known on occasion to doze at the wheel, putting themselves and those around them in immense danger. But what happens when someone is having a crisis of faith? When the world has become too overwhelming and they need a reminder of why they believe what they believe in the first place? A preacher should be able to step in and guide that person. Unless, of course, that preacher also happens to nod off. Stories of sleeping or trance preachers originated in Germany during the 16th and 17th century. However, sleeping preachers have existed all over the world, including Alabama, southern France, and Iowa. One such man was a fellow from Kentucky, named Ed. Born one of six children, Ed had always been a bit of a special boy. As a child, he once claimed to have seen his dead grandfather. At 10 years old, his family introduced him to the church, and it became his life. Over the next two years, he read the Bible cover to cover 12 times. His supernatural dealings only grew from there. One day, while reading the Bible by himself, he was visited by a woman with wings on her back who asked him what he wanted to do with his life. He gazed upon her glowing figure and told her that he wanted to become a missionary so that he could help others through faith. The following day proved less inspiring. Ed wasn't a particularly good student as a child, and a complaint from his teacher had angered his father. Apparently, he'd been having trouble with his spelling. The boy sat in a chair all night, his father calling out words, only to have Ed fail each time. His father smacked him, sending his son to the floor. And that's when Ed's guardian angel came back. She told him to sleep, and they would help him get through it. Ed asked his father for a break so he could rest his head. His father woke him up a short while later, and miraculously, his son knew how to spell every word in the book. This set Ed on a path of strange and inexplainable occurrences while he slept. For example, he once diagnosed a cure for his own back injury in his sleep, which his parents administered to great success the following day. As he got older, he needed to find work to help his family. He started a business with his father selling insurance, but a case of bad laryngitis took his voice away completely. After a year spent at home recovering, his voice still hadn't returned, so he sought the help of a hypnotist who said that he had a cure. As it turned out, Ed's voice was just fine. When he was in a hypnotic trance, that is. It was after he awoke that his voice disappeared again. He saw two other hypnotists who believed they could help, and the third, Al Lane, was able to break through. While Lane had Ed in a trance, Ed spoke as though someone else were there with him, perhaps the woman with the wings from his childhood. He referred to himself in the plural, saying things like we and us, as the hypnotist had him describe his situation. That hypnotist suggested the voice loss was psychosomatic, not physical, and that a rush of blood in the voice box would restore it. Ed, or the entity controlling him, did as told. His throat burned and his chest ached, but after 20 minutes, the treatment was done, and when Ed awoke, his voice had returned. Lane wondered how far his subject's talents extended, and whether they could work on others. 
could Ed cure someone else while asleep under hypnosis? Lane started by using himself as a guinea pig. He placed Ed in a trance and asked him to diagnose and prescribe cures to Lane's own health problems. Ed did the same for his hypnotist as he had done for himself, helping to put Lane on the path to recovery. Lane saw potential in Ed's abilities, and Ed finally got his chance to help people just as he had told the angel as a child. He gave free readings to locals, putting himself into a hypnotic trance and diagnosing their ailments. The news spread quickly about his feats, earning him coverage in local newspapers. But all the hype weighed heavily on him. He was worried that if one person died from his suggested treatments, he might be labeled a murderer. He eventually stopped and sought more traditional employment as a bookshop clerk, then a photographer, but fate would one day bring him back to his true calling. By 1912, he was living in Selma, Alabama and diagnosing more than just the sick. Businessmen wanted insight into the stock market, treasure hunters asked him to locate lost gold, and gamblers wanted the inside scoop on the latest horse races. But Ed wanted none of that, opting only to help cure the sick. In 1923, though, he was convinced by Arthur Lammers, a student, to explore the possibility of reincarnation. While in a trance, Ed told Lammers about his past lives, a wholly unchristian thing to do, as he felt reincarnation went against church teachings. Lammers, on the other hand, had gotten all the proof he needed that astrology and reincarnation were as real as the hair on his head. From there, Ed traveled with Lammers to Ohio for deeper metaphysical studies, which put him at odds with his Christian upbringing. Ed pivoted back to work in healing, reconciling the metaphysical work with his religion and moving to Virginia Beach. In 1928, he helped to open a hospital dedicated to the scientific study of his hypnotic readings. And that hospital still exists, by the way, outliving Ed by nearly a century. And it continues to help those seeking spiritual enlightenment and healing. As a result, Ed, or Edgar Casey, as history remembers him, has been immortalized as a man of faith who never let doubt or sickness stop him from helping as many people as he could. And all he had to do was take a little nap. In the 1980s and 90s, New York City needed a tough cop like Detective Louis Scarcella. Putting bad guys away. There's no feeling like it in the world. He was the guy who made sure the worst killers were brought to justice. That's one version. This guy is a piece of shit. Derek Hamilton was put away from murder by Detective Scarcella. In prison, Derek turned himself into the best jailhouse lawyer of his generation. And the law was my girlfriend. This is my only way to freedom. Derek and other convicted murderers started a law firm behind bars. We never knew we had the same cop in the case. Scarcella. We got to show that he's a corrupt cop. They can go f*** themselves. I'm Steve Fishman. And I'm Dax Devlin-Ross. And this is The Burden. Listen to new episodes of The Burden on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And to hear episodes one week early and ad-free with exclusive bonus content, subscribe to True Crime Clubhouse on Apple Podcasts.
When an animal is hurt or dying, it tries to hide the pain so it doesn't end up as food for something else. A broken paw or a mangy coat might signify the animal is in distress or weak, but it will never let another creature see it if it can help it. Even our own pets, no matter how much affection we show to them, do their best to shield us from their ailments. But sometimes the connection between human and animal is too strong to hide. Even though they might not be able to communicate in words, our pets can show us how much we mean to them in other ways. At the turn of the century, John Charles Thompson, Wyoming's surveyor general, had a collie named Jim. Jim was known all over his owner's hometown of Cheyenne for being kind and loving. He also had a funny affectation. Jim, it seems, could laugh. He was known as the laughing dog, and when he would see someone he recognized, he would let out a kind of audible chuckle. Jim the Collie was a beloved member of Thompson's family, closer to John than almost anyone, which made one fateful night in 1905 very difficult for the surveyor general. John had been walking with a friend down a Denver, Colorado street around 7.30 p.m. when he came upon an animal lying in the middle of the road. Thompson hurried over and noticed the animal was a dog. Even stranger, it looked just like Jim. The dog was hurt, but there was no doubt about it. This was Jim. He was unable to stand and could barely lift his head. But even in pain, Jim let out his familiar laugh when he saw his beloved owner hunched over him. General Thompson did his best to comfort the dog. But whatever had hurt him had mortally wounded him. John stroked his fur, told him goodbye, and it wasn't long before Jim succumbed to his injuries. He passed away there in the street, his best friend right by his side. Thompson and his friend crossed the street and then looked back at the dog. But it had disappeared. It hadn't miraculously gotten up and walked away. It had vanished. John wasn't sure what to think, but he left and headed back to his hotel. The following day, a letter arrived from his wife, and it bore the sad news that his beloved colleague Jim had been involved in an accident the previous night, around 7.30 p.m. Not in Denver, Colorado, though, but back home in Cheyenne, Wyoming. The bond between a person and their pet is unbreakable. Distance and time cannot keep them apart, it seems. Jim was proof of that. John believed that the dog he had witnessed in the street wasn't a look-alike, but a real visit by the dog's spirit. A fantasy? Perhaps but also maybe a way for a faithful friend to say goodbye one last time. I hope you've enjoyed today's guided tour of the Cabinet of Curiosities. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts or learn more about the show by visiting curiositiespodcast.com. This show was created by me, Aaron Mankey, in partnership with How Stuff Works, I make another award-winning show called Lore, which is a podcast, book series, and television show. And you can learn all about it over at theworldoflore.com. And until next time, stay curious.